0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new mini episode. Virginia and I think this one should be called a swan dive because we sat down today to chat with author Suzanne Daniel about her debut novel, which we featured in episode 18, Girls. And that, of course, is Allegra in Three Parts, a book we both absolutely adore. Please excuse the quality of the audio. We had a few hitches today with equipment, But Suzanne was so generous, we wanted to share the interview with you nonetheless. We hope you enjoy the chat.
1: To start off, I I want to say uh, welcome to Suzanne. We've been really looking forward to having a chat with you about Allegra in three parts or a girl in three parts if you're in the United States or Canada. We absolutely adored this book. Both of us had such a strong reaction to it and so we've been really looking forward to chatting with you, Suzanne, and finding out a little bit of the um, the behind-the-scenes information about uh, what goes into writing a book and a little bit about the characters and just you know generally fangirling over the book I suppose.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How lovely, thank you. Well it's such a pleasure to be with you and and to be actually talking to
1: you And I've listened to the two of you speak with each other for quite a while now. (laughs) That's so lovely. So the first question I wanted to ask you Suzanne is Louise and I really love the main character, Allegra. She's about 11 and a half when we first meet her and she begins by telling the reader that she is split in half and then at times even into a third when her father comes into the picture. She's smart, she's independent, but she does a few naughty things. She's not too saccharine, but she definitely has the reader rooting for her right from the first page so has she been in your mind as a main character for a book for a long time or how did how did she come to you
2: look I suppose she did bubble up in my mind as a character and as an amalgam I guess of lots of different characters that I'd come across in my life Mm. and She was also a bit of a vehicle because I I had some themes that I wanted to explore. And so from there, I thought, okay, so who do I put into what circumstances at what time to be able to explore those themes? So yeah, Allegra kind of, if it doesn't sound too wacky, she came and introduced herself to me and she just grew in my mind and initially I was actually writing it in the um, third person and really that wasn't anything very special and I felt like I wanted to not just convey the sort of thoughts of an 11-year-old but also the feelings. And so once I found her voice, that all-important voice Um. that uh, writers are encouraged to find and then her feelings just, yeah, they just became quite real for me and yeah people have have responded to i guess that part of her character that they're just not they're not just in her head they're also in her heart and at times you know in her body as well
1: yes that's so interesting that you say that because one of the things that i particularly love when i really love a book when i have a really visceral reaction to a book it's always because i my, my way of describing it is that it has a lot of heart and I think you've absolutely answered my question there because that's what this book has in spades and I don't really know how to articulate that any better but this book does have a lot of heart and all of my favourite books have that same feature so I love that I love the way that you know once once you wanted to include her feelings it was better to go with her speaking in the first person I think that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. because yeah, I think, you know, when we look back and even remember what it was
2: like ourselves to be 11 and a half as she was at the beginning of the book and even, you know, nudging 13 at the end, it's often not necessarily our thoughts we remember but it's our feelings and our reactions. Like we might remember, you know, the first sense of real embarrassment or, you you know that kind of oh no you know feeling yeah. of well, I'm about to get into trouble oh, yeah. you know it's it's often those feelings that, that stay with us
1: even if we get the exact thoughts that surrounded them. That's so true yes I can vividly remember that time and you're so right. Suzanne I absolutely loved the way you incorporated lots of things from the 1970s and, and in particular 1970s Australia that I had sort of forgotten about, but the mention of a few of them really brings back that whole era so vividly to me. Things like the Cuisinier rods and corner milk bars and all those sort of things. But also, I think the way that Kimberly from the popular group with Capitals bullied her <laughs> classmates because bullying back then although there's probably many things that has in common with bullying now, there wasn't any social media. So she does it in a particular way that was true back then. So I'm just curious to what extent you drew on your own experiences and memories of those things, because it seems to me like you must have a fantastic memory for all those very small details.
2: Look, I I think I do have a good memory, and that's often brought home to me when I'm sort of trying to... Other people remember things and they're like, how how are you remembering (laughs) this stuff? (laughs) Um, I have to say, thankfully, I wasn't ever particularly bullied at school, but I can remember very clearly watching on when other kids were and... I have to, to my shame, admit that I didn't step in as much as I should have at all times. I mean, I certainly did on occasions and defend person being bullied. But it was, I guess, before really we had that thorough understanding of what bullying does to somebody and people who have been bullied speak about it with such trauma in their adult life, It was seen almost as something that, oh, well, you know, that happens. Yeah. Dig deep, get over it. And even adults would just brush it off. And as we know, it's just so damaging and can dismantle a child at the time and really Great
1: work can be carried throughout, you know, adults for the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. So it's it's an awful, horrible thing. But you clearly do have a very good memory. I mean, you you that those things, the, the SRA cards that I used to love doing. Those mm. they came in that beautiful, yeah. the laminated cards, and you'd take one back to <laughs> yeah. your desk and work away on it, and then you'd go and get the next one. Ronioed copies of sheets of paper before photocopiers. Yes, and, yeah, oh, this, and remember the smell. Yeah, that yeah. Smell. yeah. That that carbony yeah. smell, I vividly remember yes. that. My mother was a teacher, so I remember her roneoing stuff for class. Yes. So I just uh, there was so much there that I absolutely loved. Louise and I are really interested in why the book is marketed for middle grade readers in the USA and Canada, but for adults here in Australia and also why the publishers changed the name for those markets. So, the name. Now, that was an interesting experience for me as a first-time novelist because I just didn't realise
2: what went into naming a novel and all the different considerations. So, my working title for the book was actually Liberata. And all the way through and right through to submission to the different publishers, it went out as Liberata. And for reasons that you'd understand, having read the book, but from the get-go my agent just said, no, can't be Liberata, sounds like an Italian opera, nobody's going to like it. I really did, but nobody else did. So Uh we went round and round and round and round and we finally settled in Australia on Allegra in three parts. And the US contract actually came after so after we, it, it came in fairly early, but they were looking at naming it after, and we were hoping that it would just go out as a girl in three parts. Now, this is the funny bit. Allegra in the US is an antihistamine. Oh. So,
0: <laughs>
2: so they said, no, no, it can't be Allegra. It, her name can remain Allegra, but no, it has to be a girl in three parts. So that's how it ended up being named that for the US and Canada. How
1: interesting.
2: Yeah, and. I would never have realised that would have to be a consideration, but clearly uh, it was. And so I guess for Australia and New Zealand, Kate Patterson, the publishing director for Pan Macmillan, had also published The Book Thief. And so she, she'd had experience with a book that had been written from the perspective of, I'm pretty sure actually the same age, an 11-year-old. And finding adult readers here in Australia and then, as it turns out, you know, throughout the world as well. So she was very across that and how that would sit and could be a book that Many generations, or you know, a number of generations, could read and enjoy. And for me, pleasingly, that was just so in line with my highest intention for the book, or best dream, really. I had always hoped I could read a book that the whole family could could all read and then discuss and share and feel bonded by. Because I remember on a holiday actually with the book thief years ago. I'd read it and I passed it on to my husband who read it and then each of our three children who were quite different ages at the time read it and we could tell where each other was up to by the look on their faces Uh, so that it was always always my highest, most far-fetched dream. And then when, when the US publishes, so Knopf, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House, who are doing A God in Three Parts in North America, they felt it really was going to sit well in that YA market. And YA apparently is not necessarily a book that's just for young adult readers, but it's actually... Often, the compass with that categorisation is the fact that the protagonist is that age or nice. in that age category. And I think during your your podcast where you discussed my book, you you also mentioned that that's a really big market in the US and Canada, and it actually is. Uh, a lot of older readers will particularly seek out YA books, you know. So so it's not necessarily for children, but it's kind of from sort of 12 13 year old also yeah 12 year olds and up but something that's also can be appealing to older readers as well so that's sort of how it all played out it it also I think comes down to who picks up your book in a publishing house and actually you know feels strongly about it and wants to champion it and wants it to sit within their list So uh, Catherine Harrison is my publisher with Kanov and uh, she felt very connected to the book from the get-go. And as it happened, my agent... Catherine Drayton is also Marcus Zusak's agent, and so she was over there for when they were releasing The Bridge of Clay in New York, and they just happened to say to her, you don't have anything else, do you, that could kind of maybe sort of move between the generations the way the book thief did? And she said, well, I do have this little thing called Allegra in Three Parts, which was yet to be published in Australia at that point. So that's kind of how it all rolled out.
1: Wow, what a gorgeous story about the synchronicity of just having your book there and ready to go with a publisher who was looking for something like that. I love that. That's wonderful.
2: There's so much luck for me. Like, honestly, I've had the luckiest one with this book.
1: Yeah, well, you know, what they say, luck is uh, preparation, meeting, good timing or something like that anyway.
0: (laughs) I'm going to ask you a little bit about the feminist thread through the book, which is a very strong thread. And, of course, the 1970s in Australia was a place of change and Allegra has these two wonderful grandmothers. I suppose I'm interested as to why you chose the grandmother as the vehicle for that sort of theme of feminism in the book? For me,
2: it came down to, I suppose, the idea that a young girl at, say, 11 and a half or moving into her teenage years can often have two very strong but very different examples of what it's like to be a woman in the world Mm -hmm. brought into her life by her grandmothers. So her mother might be you know, one way in particular, and in this case, for poor Allegra, her mother's not on the scene at all. But I think many of us grew up with two very different grandmothers, and if we were lucky enough to know them both and lucky enough to feel connected to both of them, they... Well, really the same. They often gave us, I suppose, different roadmaps of, of how to sort of be a woman in the world. So that was the idea there.
0: It's rather lovely because Matilda, of course, and Joy are so very different, as you point out, and providing sort of different examples to Allegra. So we've got Matilda on the one hand, who initially seems, you know, quite strict and possibly even a little bit aloof. She's so busy. She sort of doesn't have time to indulge in in young emotions. And joy on the other side could possibly be seen as being a bit flaky or unreliable. But what's delightful is with Allegra, you know, her knowledge of her grandmother's evolves as does ours. Yes.
2: Thank you. I'm glad you picked that up. And I also wanted to explore, Lou, how how love is delivered Mm. and it's often delivered very differently from different people. And a chi- as a child, you know, we can be sifting through that and wondering what that does to each of those brands of love, if you like. But at the end of the day, the depth of people's love is not necessarily, there's no hierarchy often. And children are pretty good, actually, at, at understanding that in the end.
0: Yes, Yes, absolutely. As Allegra, it sort of was almost like osmosis, wasn't it? And and she, she had a little bit of help along the way occasionally. Her friend Patricia sort of helped her out a little bit with joy. But also she was obviously a very observant child as well. And I suppose if things are not being told to you, then you use your other senses, don't you, to sort of work things out sometimes?
2: Absolutely. And she didn't have the benefit. Like sometimes we can kind of workshop things about one person with the other, but she just knew that
0: she was not Mm. to raise joy with Mathilde or Mathilde with joy so she was kind of left to work it out on her own Mm. just wonderful characters um Suzanne do you do you mind sharing with us a little bit about your process of writing Uh, we've chatted about you know how Allegra evolved um but, but was the story brewing for a while or did you sort of say right I'm going to sit down and write a novel I was a journalist
2: for many years in Australia and overseas as well. And I originally went into journalism because I love creative writing. And of course, you can't really do too much creative writing as a journalist because you'll be sued. So, and more and more, I got kind of pulled away. Like, I ended up working as an investigative journalist, which was fantastic and really rewarding, but you know, was taking me further away. Um, from why I'd started there in the first place. So I'd always thought that when the time presented itself, I'd give writing a novel a bit of a crack. And, of course, the time never comes and taps you on the shoulder. So initially I was just trying to squeeze it around work and raising children and the banana skins of life, Mm. and I would just – steal little kind of fragments of time and have a bit of a private tap out on my computer and no one knew I was doing it and then I think I got to a point I think once I found Allegra's voice and once that started to work there were times when I felt I was writing her but other times I felt she was kind of beckoning me along and then I actually sometimes the most simple things are the most helpful I read somewhere that just setting yourself a daily word count Mm -hmm. and sitting down and not allowing yourself to stand up from that desk until you've hit that word count each day that you choose to write and for me it wasn't every single day like it couldn't be just because of the demands the other demands on my time but you know I would say on average once I had the wind in my sails I would have probably written four days a week and I just, and here's just the mechanics of it, I just set myself the goal that I had to have 650 words banked every single writing session and I was not to leave that computer until that was done. And, of course, to bank 650 words, you often have to write a lot more than that. Mm. And then I always... I think it was an Ernest Hemingway tip, actually. I always left the computer at a point where I knew what was coming next. Yeah. Because that then meant that I was kind of itching to get back to it rather than, oh, I've drained the well dry, what, mm-hmm. you know, what oh, and, you know, putting it off. It just actually really invigorated me and kept the whole thing alive for me.
0: Yeah, how interesting. That's very generous of you to share that with us. It sounds like you... Have brought also some of your discipline as a journalist to the process, though, of sort of requiring yourself to have a a word count and creating a bit of a habit of writing?
2: Yeah, I think so, which is funny because I think through my adolescence and early adulthood, I didn't think of myself as a very disciplined person at all. In fact, Mm. I used to kind of wing it a bit too often. But yeah, I guess I know, maybe. Mm maturity and and also having scarce time that makes you a lot more disciplined doesn't it and having having the passion in the project too that gives it an energy that almost means you don't have to give it as much of your own because it's it's within the project itself
0: yes well I do I love that idea that at some stage Allegra takes over your writing that, that you know you start off with this character but then eventually she's starting to talk to you and she takes over I think that's just a wonderful image
2: and and I really I really loved that feeling too because that was to me how I hoped my readers would approach or experience reading the book I I hoped that at times she'd be leading them to an understanding and at other times they'd be understanding something she didn't Mm. but ultimately
1: she got the adults to understand something that was beyond any of them.
0: It's just wonderful.
1: Now that you've put Allegra out into the world and it's obviously been, you know, many years by the sound of it or, you know, a number of years of work and then dealing with publishers and um, now looking at the United States and Canadian markets. I'm wondering if you'd mind sharing what's next for you. Has has it inspired you to write more or do you feel like you need a break from it or have you got another project that you're dreaming up or thinking about? Well, what happened was
2: so Pan McMillan, when Catherine, my agent, put out Allegra in Australia, I think it went to maybe nine publishers that she targeted, who she thought might be interested, and she closed off on a certain day that the ones that remained interested had to put in their um, best offer, apparently, and. I'm on the board of a big independent school in Sydney and we're having a governance day, you know, kind of this is going back a couple of years now and you have to bundy in and do your eight hours to be accredited as director of the school. And so, you know, your phone's meant to be off. But I knew it was the closing date for this process. And so my agent had said, look, could you try and keep your phone at least on silent so you can see some messages as they come in and it was just going a bit nuts oh wow and <laughs> which was so exciting it was very hard to concentrate but I, I must <laughs> say I did as a dutiful director <laughs> but during the breaks I was kind of reading the various messages and the offers came in with different complexions and the one that came from Pan McMillan was actually for a two-book deal oh. and I was calling my agent from the bathroom going, two books? It's taken me forever to write one. I've got another book in me. I've just only set out to write one. And then I was calling my husband saying, you know, they're wanting me to sign for a second book. And he said, do not, under any circumstances, sign for a second book. Don't put (laughs) yourself under that pressure. You don't need to put yourself under that pressure. And then I had the agent saying, you would be mad if you didn't sign up for that. They're backing you as an author that, you know, it'll determine what they put into promoting the first book. And I said, but I don't even have a second book at this stage. Anyway, I went with the agent's advice in the end and I signed the two-book deal. Wonderful. So I am all signed up for that and working on it now. It has nothing to do with Allegra. It's a completely different story. It was something that did introduce itself to me, if you like, in during the research of Allegra, but it's actually a totally different story. So that's what I'm deep into at the moment. And, yeah, so with with a much, much tighter deadline. So I'm on a deadline oh.
1: for yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, that sounds really exciting. We will, um, we no pressure or anything, but we're really looking forward to that one. <laughs> yes. I wouldn't like to have been um, at home when you came home and told your husband that you hadn't taken his advice. <laughs> And that he so, could look forward to many more hours of you locked away <laughs> from writing book number two. Well, it's like tiptoeing in with cups
2: of tea and oh. all of that. No, he's been incredibly supportive
1: all the way through, I must say. Yes, I can imagine. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I'm sure he's yeah. extremely proud and happy about it. <laughs> yes. It's oh. actually been a gift to me
2: because, of course, during COVID lockdown, And isolation, you know, that's the environment and author needs. So I keep thinking how lucky I've been on that front
1: too. Yeah, I actually hadn't thought about it from that point of view, but you're right. If there's a time when you can lock yourself away without feeling like you're missing out on anything, 2020 is the year. Exactly. I think lots of people have got books. Yeah, I think we'll have a a slew of COVID books. Some will be about COVID, no doubt, and some won't. (laughs) It would be an interesting PhD
2: topic, I think. Yes. And see how it
1: may have affected the literature that was born at that time. Yes, Yes, I think the publishers will be. Uh, rubbing their hands with glee at all the manuscripts that start arriving. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, Well, Suzanne, it's been an absolute delight to speak to you today. Uh, We've really loved talking to you about Allegra and the book and the process. It's such an interesting insight into how it all works because it's a foreign thing for Louise and I. It's not something we're familiar with at all. So we've really enjoyed chatting with you. We wish you the very best of luck with Allegra in, or A Girl in Three Parts in um, the United States and Canada. I'm sure that she will be as well received as she is here. And uh, we wish you luck with the next book.
2: Thank you so much. And good luck with with your podcast, which is just such a delight. It's really a wonderful addition
1: to the the listening world. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you,
0: Suzanne.